Track and field was something I thought be the perfect sport for me in high school. Namely, it offered me the ability to compete in something I absolutely loved, hauling ass. I was good enough that a varsity letter was in my grasp, and I could do it all by myself, for the most part. Team sports were never really my thing. There was flag football, sure, but that wasn't as much of my choice as I had wanted it to be. But you better believe I could run. For being as short as I was, sprinting wasn't necessarily the best for someone my physique. The best sprinters are typically taller because they have a longer stride and therefore can cover more ground with less effort, but despite that, I had something of a successful go at sprinting. My forte quickly became the 400 meter dash, which would have me competing for that race in addition to the 4x400 meter relay in varsity meets, all while being a freshman. Now, despite that, the school had a very peculiar qualification for being a varsity sprinter. Namely, rather than competing in varsity meets for the majority, if not all of the season, if you don't hit a certain personal best, you're dropped down to junior varsity. Which is what happened to me my freshman year, after having a meet best of 54.25 seconds. And the time to beat for varsity was 54 flat. Sophomore year, I came back with a vengeance. Until finally, at regionals, the very last meet of the season, I clocked in at 53.74. I had accomplished my goal of being a varsity athlete. And junior year came around, officially on the higher end of the social ladder, and I led the way along with the other, now juniors and seniors, for exercises and stretches. And as I had held a friendly competition with the long-distance runners and a race of karaoke's, I suddenly felt what I could only describe as a knife stabbing me in the thigh. I halted for a few moments, then carried on, but I ultimately knew... That was not something I could just gloss over. Over time, the pain had gotten worse until just the mere action of standing would make me feel like keeling over. So, I wound up in a doctor's office, only to be diagnosed with the not-at-all-awkward-to-talk-about injury known as an inguinal hernia. The pain had gotten so severe that I had to quit track and get what ultimately became my first job a line server at Cafe Zupa's. I don't think I've ran that fast ever since. Borealis Entertainment presents Get Lost So You Can Find Your Way Home A Podcast Memoir by M.K. Lott Chapter 7 Squat Depth Part 1 About two years later, the hernia had been patched up thanks to a low-risk surgery, and I was now living in a state of fear of whether or not my guts were going to spew out past the mesh. So, of course, one of the best things you can do after a surgery with no physical therapy is to start small. And for me, that meant just easy morning walks across campus and down to the Sizzlers and back on the weekends. The surgery had rocked my body quite a bit since that was my first ever surgery of any kind. And every morning, I would wake up and check to see if I was still in pain or if the surgery was a ripoff. The pain was still evident, but the thing about hernia surgeries that I was now experiencing 
was the pain doesn't always go away completely. Even now, I'll still feel a little pain here and there, and I think a lot of it is a phantom pain. But I was mortified to try running again at the beginning. There was no way in hell that I would repeat doing the very thing that caused the injury in the first place. For that reason, I began to applaud the likes of athletes who went back to their craft despite career-ending injuries. The textbook example of that for me being MMA fighter Anderson Silva. But instead of sprinting, I went back to an exercise I didn't even necessarily realize was a sport until I began to meet some mentors within the community who treated it religiously. Weightlifting. Or, in a more professional aspect, powerlifting. Practically the exact opposite in terms of exercise when it comes to running and whatever shortcomings I had as a runner, I can make up for as a lifter. And boy did I. Two years after the walking phase to recover, I felt confident enough to return to the gym and start lifting, collecting as much information and free gym plans as I could to hit a new fitness goal. My new varsity letter. The Thousand Pound Club. It's not necessarily impressive for those bigger than me, but the Thousand Pound Club is an unofficial title used to describe anyone who's one rep max for the back squat, the bench press, and the deadlift all add up to 1,000 pounds. And I was by no means Eddie Hall, but for my size, I was very close. Almost every day, I would make time after classes to spend an hour to an hour and a half just building up as much of my strength as I could and bulk up without turning into a stump just of pure muscle. It had engulfed so much of my past time that a regular at the gym came up to me when his friend was in the bathroom and said, Listen, my, uh, my friend was curious. You don't take steroids, do you? No, I said with a chuckle. Oh. Yeah, my buddy thought you take steroids. I never thought I would get to a point in anything to where I would get so good at something people thought I cheated. It was the most flattering thing I had ever heard. And while I was in the best age of my life to implement anything athletic, I never hit my goal. Over and over, whenever I got close to the goal, one of two things would have happened. I would have remembered my hernia and panic and back out once the numbers got high, or I would discover another Latin word that ends with A, sciatica. I had devoted so much time to deadlifting specifically, the typically heaviest of the three lifts, that I started to discard the need for proper form, which you can't just do and assume you can get away with it. It had been like that for a while, until I aimed for about the 270 pound mark. At that time I had done more, but one day in particular, as my back started to curl and my hips started to shoot up before my shoulders, both of which are huge no-nos in deadlifting, don't ever do those things, I suddenly felt what seemed like a drill going straight into my ass and I pulled the plug on that day's workout immediately. By the time I graduated college, the heaviest I had gotten was 335 pounds for deadlift, 275 pounds for squat, and 195 for bench. I graduated college 
with a thousand pound score of 805. After college and on my way to a new life in Ogden, one of the first immediate stops I took was to the gym about five minutes away from where I lived. I took a tour from a personal trainer who was kind enough to not only show me around and give me a free session with him, but he was also willing to put in a good word for me while I was job hunting. This local gym had significantly more in every way than the gym I had called my home away from home in college. There was an upstairs track, a swimming pool, a basketball court, rows and rows of treadmills, machines, squash arenas, dumbbells, and of course, the pit. The pit was the area of the gym solely devoted to CrossFit and powerlifting of any kind. In fact, the padding was different in order to accommodate for the plates slamming down against the floor, and they even had different lifting plates for the pit. That's how devoted they were. And the environment seemed a lot more inviting as well. Maybe that was the unexpected benefit of just working out somewhere you don't expose yourself to the gossip. And as somebody who had worked at the gym that he had worked out at, I can testify that gossip is very much an issue. But there seemed to be a lot more fun and enjoyable workers that made the gym feel less intimidating and less problematic, so to speak. Such as a personal trainer who, for Halloween, would squat in a pirate's costume. And around this time, I had done this a little bit in college too, but around this time specifically, I had discovered a Canadian bodybuilder by the name of Jeff Nippard, who had what I still consider to be one of the most impactful workout programs I had ever experienced. And thankfully, because of the personal trainer that I had worked with previously in college, I was able to get the program for free just as a referral. And the program was structured like this. You work out five days a week, days that you get to choose, and on three of those days, you lift at 80% of your one rep max for your power lifts, and then you do a high rep, high weight, full body workout for the rest of the time that you're at the gym. On the days you don't do the power lifts, you just do the full body workout. This program had me witness and experience the most radical changes I had ever felt at the time. I wasn't necessarily lean, but I had the strength that I had always been looking for. Every time my 80% and therefore my max would change, I would crank everything into a max rep calculator online and see how much closer I was to hitting my goal. If I did 7 reps at this, then that would mean my 1 rep max had gotten to mean this. And every week, if not every other week, this number would go up and up and up, little by little, I would just get that much closer to the thousand pound club. But then the most remarkable thing happened. I had to stop when I was about 10 pounds shy. Why? Well, remember that episode I did last year called The Mondays and how I got so psyched out I messed up my deadlift and may or may not have pulled my butt. Well, I probably pulled my butt. And I was out of commission and slowly losing my gains. So I did what I had never done before and stretched, slowly. After about a month, I was feeling like myself again and went back to the grind. I had stayed the course the best I possibly could and at the end of the 10 week program, it was time to actually prove the fitness was paying off. So, 
I lined up to the squat rack since it was squat day, shot the barbell off the rack, and squatted 220 pounds like an absolute maniac. And I did AMRAPs too, which is also known as rough. AMRAPs stands for as many reps as possible. Rough stands for reps until failure. Either way, I was going until my body couldn't take it anymore. And I was so sure of myself, I even recorded myself just for the occasion. And Instagram, I'm not gonna lie. And by the time my body had tapped out, I re-racked the weights to enjoy an impressive number of about 12 reps or so. And I was a proud man that day. That was the exact number I needed to hit the thousand pound mark and after years of hauling ass and teetering on injuries like clockwork, I had finally hit my goal. And it felt great. A little too great. I started to review the video I had just taken and I noticed a lack of movement in my knees at maybe the two rep mark, if that. And it only got worse and worse and worse from there. Because I had spent the entire set half repping. And I suddenly spiraled into this horrid belief that all the work I had done, all the time I devoted to the program, was for nothing. And for the first time, I had to tuck my tail and ask for advice on how to make my form less shitty. So, like a lost child in the mall, I walked around the gym with my phone in my hands, walking around just trying to find the perfect person to ask without feeling like I was going to get crap for it. That's when I found the personal trainer who had squatted like a pirate, just benching away. And he's the man that I will talk about in next week's episode. So thank you all so much for listening to this episode of Get Lost So You Can Find Your Way Home. I hope this episode leaves you better than it found you, and this time around I won't necessarily do a call to action to my hypnotherapy practice, although if you are still interested in that stuff, I'm more than happy to have a dialogue with you. But I wanted to clarify about the whole part two things. Uh, I have been enjoying this format a lot. Let me know if you have. And I have been doing this because on a more exciting note, I was offered a position to be a writer for a magazine that's local to Utah. So part of the reason why I've been doing part twos is so I can just delegate my time better. I know maybe cliffhangers aren't, you know, your most ideal thing, but it just helps me delegate my time better. And hopefully it helps you guys stay more engaged and be a little more interested in kind of what's around the corner. But that being said, if you'd like to help support the podcast, you can head on down to anchor.fm slash get lost dash hype hype hypnotherapy. Really glad I went into that as a profession because I can pronounce it so good. And if you're willing, I would love to see any help I can. A little bit goes a long way. And it'll just help promote and grow the podcast through word of mouth, through influence, and just through upgrades in general. So thank you as always. And until next time, here's to finding your way.